is Imbra Kelly, uh, she and her pronouns, and I'm the Director of Religious Education uh, here at the Fourth Universalist. And I am so excited uh, to be joined by two amazing panelists uh, alongside me tonight. Um, and I have um, Anjum and Madison. And so Anjum, if you wanna go ahead and introduce yourself first. Sure thing. Hi everyone, my name is Anjum, she, her pronouns. Um, I've been attending Fourth U for about three years, um, and Ember knows that I'm a pretty big fan of Taylor Swift, even though I think I'm the most casual of the group, so that probably will be evident. Um, and so I was very excited to be uh, invited to join the panel today, um, wearing red for the occasion. So I think that's probably all the pertinent information. <laughs> That covers the basics. Uh, Madison, did you want to go ahead and introduce yourself? Um, my name is Madison. I go by she or they pronouns. And um, I make TikToks where I analyze Taylor Swift's lyrics for queer themes, um, for queer references, and kind of just relate her writing to queer literature and uh, queer history, which she seems to know a lot about. So that's kind of how I got started. Um, being an active fan of Taylor Swift, but I've been a pretty big fan of her since I was a kid. And I think in the recent years, since I've been finding more of her queer themes, I've become an even bigger fan. And it's been nice to kind of spread the word to other queer people who enjoy her music that there are themes for us in them. Yeah. Glad to have you, Madison. And um, yes, I love I love your TikToks. I love the the queer analysis, which inspired me to start my own um, trans readings on TikTok as well. Um, so thank you for the inspiration and encouragement when I was considering that. Um, and so I'm so glad to have you both here to um, to get to talk about Taylor Swift. And so uh, once again, anytime you got like a question, um, feel free to leave it in the chat. And if it's pertinent to like the discussion at hand, we'll try and address it. Um, but if not, we'll save a bunch of questions for at the end. Um, so diving in, uh, we wanted to start by acknowledging that Taylor Swift brings out really strong feelings in people. Um, <laughs> that um, some of us maybe have even in our journeys as Taylor Swift fans um, gone from being um, really strongly against or really strongly for and had varying levels of feelings about Taylor Swift. Um, and that's, that's part of being a fan sometimes. Um, but uh, she seems to be this figure uh, that people have very strong feelings about. Um, so I thought we could start with um, the three of us kind of talking about a little bit about our feelings as uh, how has our fandom uh, evolved just to give people a little bit of context about um, where we're coming from individually. Um, Anju? Yeah, so I first started listening to Taylor Swift um, on country radio when she first came out, because that's what I listened to growing up. Um, and I was a really annoying kid who did not like being into what was popular. So like I refused to read Harry Potter, refused to read a series of unfortunate events, Twilight, all of those. I was like, I'm too cool for it. I'm not going to read it. Um, and I was kind of the same with Taylor Swift. I did not like that she had popularity 
outside of the genre. And I honestly think that I was very jealous because um, I wanted to be a singer and like, oh, but she could play guitar and was like a songwriter and blah, blah, blah. So I had strange embittered feelings for like a 10 year old. Um, but she grew on me pretty quickly because um, I didn't love her first song, Tim McGraw, but uh, her following songs actually aligned very well with my taste in music. And so if I enjoyed what was on the radio, I wasn't gonna run away from it. Um, and then I really enjoyed her country albums. And then when she transitioned to pop, I wasn't like angry about it. Like a lot of people were, I just, she kind of fell off my radar for many years, probably, probably really until just a couple years ago when like her documentary came out. And I remembered how much I liked her and liked her as a person as well as her music. And so I've been getting back into her at just the right time when it's just album after album after album coming out. So it's um, been really enjoyable to try to catch up on some of what I missed during my off years. Um, but yeah, the hate was early and strong and quick. <laughs> so for context, we have a little bit of a diverse age range um, in our, in our <laughs> panel um, as, as the resident um, older than Taylor Swift by one year, um, born in 1988. Um, so, um, I, I bring the, the elder Swift, um, uh, perspective, but, uh, we have a nice age range here of people who, uh, were at very different ages, uh, when they, um, became fans of Taylor Swift. Madison, I, I saw you unmute, so let's hear from you. Yeah, so um, I was like five or six when I first heard Taylor Swift. Um, I hated country music as a kid. I absolutely despised it. My mom loved country music, though, and country music was always playing, like the radio, pop country. Um, and I first heard Tim McGraw, and I hated the artist Tim McGraw because I didn't like country music, but I loved that song. And it was very conflicting for me because I was like, why do I like this country song? Um, I felt very disturbed and embarrassed by liking her because I did hate country music as a kid. So, um, but I did buy her first album. I had it on like a little CD and I listened to it, but I wouldn't talk about her at all. Or I wouldn't tell any of my friends I listened to her because it felt embarrassing to like country music. And then, yeah, I stayed a really consistent fan of hers all throughout my adolescence and in high school when or I was in high school when 1989 came out and I loved that album so much. And I think right after around 2014, when she had a lot more controversy coming up with Kanye West and everything, I turned on her and I didn't like her anymore. I decided that I was anti-Taylor Swift. I decided that she was a white feminist and that she didn't stand for anything that I believed in. And I still kind of stand by that. I think at that time she wasn't as much of an activist as I wanted her to be. Um, it's hard to put those expectations onto celebrities though, I'm realizing now that I'm a little bit older, but yeah, I didn't like her from probably like 2014 till 2019, like like Anjum said, I until her documentary came out and then um, Folklore and Evermore is when I kind of realized I still had that love for her and the artist that I loved was still in there. I just kind of had to look past all of the media critiques and um, all, I think still the critiques about her activism and her white feminism are still very valid, but 
um, it it's a little bit it's difficult to look past that stuff and just appreciate the art but both can be true and that's where I'm at with it now so yeah I'm still a huge fan of her I follow her a lot more closely than I ever have I'm a lot more active in the um, Swifty community now of course <laughs> kind of on accident and now that I'm revisiting all of her music as an adult I'm starting to recognize all of the queer themes and kind of why I loved it so much as a kid because I was having similar feelings to her so yeah it's been interesting to with like the re-recording rollouts too to revisit all of the music that I liked as a child yeah as as the Elder Swift fan um, uh, her first album would be was coming out after I had graduated high school um, because I graduated in 2006, and so I think it came out in the fall of 2006. Um, and I was uh, very deeply in the closet trans woman, and I uh, was raised um, conservative, evangelical, very Republican. Um, we prayed for George Bush and the success of the Iraq war in our school that I went to, and it was a, a very different world. Um, and a lot of time was spent uh, making fun of country music um, in those conversations. Um, and I, but I did spend a fair amount of time like watching MTV and VH1 back in the day. Um, you know, at that time we were complaining like, oh, they never play music. Uh, little did we know that that would actually only get worse with time. Um, and that was actually sort of a heyday of there still being some music on the channel. Uh, and um, in between those two, it was, uh, it was, there was like 40, 41 and 42, I think maybe I'm, I'm I was in Wisconsin. I don't really remember what it was. Um, and so it was 40 was uh, VH1 and 42 was MTV and in between them was the country music channel. Um, and so I remember flipping through and stopping because I was like, what is this song? I've never like this looks a little bit different. Like it's not somebody singing about their trucks and why America is the best. Um, it was a very different time for country music. Um, and I stopped and it was um, teardrops on my guitar. And so this is uh, a total side note, but this is my Mandela effect. Like, I don't know if you're a believer in Mandela effects, but I swear that I was still in high school when this song came out, but apparently the video did not come out until 2007. So it must've been my first year of college. But so I was back maybe visiting family or something and um, clicking through and I stop and I see this video. I'm like, I kind of like this song. And then I'm like, no, 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 I can't. I'm in the closet. I cannot like anything like remotely feminine coded. Um, that is not cool. I'm not gonna do it. Um, uh, and, but every time that I would see it when I was passing through on the channels, I would stop and make sure that nobody was around and paying attention to what I was watching and uh, then listen to it. Uh, and so I um, liked that song. I liked Teardrops on My Guitar quite a bit. I was also not the hugest Tim McGraw fan, but, um, yeah. Um, but then I basically stayed under the radar, very a closeted Swifty in the true sense of the word, um, that I did not want to admit to, admit to anybody that I liked that music. Um, and I, you know, I paid a little bit of attention to speak now, but I also like was trying to be very tough and very not coming out of the closet at that time. Um, and then um, read, I was at least mildly intrigued by, by then I was like starting to come out of the closet and I worked in retail and a lot of, um, uh, I think I, kn I knew you were trouble and I was like, 
22 was definitely playing over the intercom. I'm trying to remember what the other song was, but so I was like, okay, uh, maybe I do like Taylor Swift. Um, and I started to admit it to a few people and then I would get on YouTube and I'd watch some of the music videos. I really liked Mean and I really liked um, a couple of those um, Red Era sort of videos. And then like, I realized that 1989 was coming out. And so I would, like sit and watch all these videos all the time. Uh, and so 1989 came out in 2014 and um, I had started the process of coming out in like 2008, um, but like I didn't actually like officially come out to everybody and say like, hey, um, I'm transitioning um, until um, late 2014, beginning of 2015. And so in a lot of senses, 1989 helped me out of the closet. Um, it was um, me admitting like, I like this CD and that's okay. And I don't have to be ashamed of who I am. Um, and then like life got so overwhelming coming out of the closet that I just kind of didn't pay attention to reputation. And I also definitely fell into the, uh, she might be a bit too much of a white feminist. I gotta be the good proper um, feminist and I can't, um, you know, I gotta side with Kanye um, sort of thing. Um, and um, yeah, I think uh, as somebody who also came from a conservative background like she did, I, I think I understand a little bit, like I feel, I sympathize with her journey away from that and how it takes some time and some growing pains. Um, but so I didn't pay a ton of attention to reputation, though I will admit that I'm a fan of it now. Um, uh, and then um, I moved to Asia um, and um, Lover was playing constantly over the radio at this uh, at the grocery store that we shopped at. Um, and I'm like, this is so good. Like, I love this song. Um, and I didn't really look into the album. I was like, oh, cool. She got a new album out. Like, good for her. Um, but I didn't really look into it. And then um, the pandemic hit and um, Folklore came out. And I was still in Asia at the time. And the first time I listened to it, it didn't really resonate a ton. Um, and um, I, I was like, I was like, this just feels like mediocre, like folk music. Um, and I'm, just, I'm sorry, everybody, like, forgive me, because it's not my second favorite album. Um, but um, I think what it was is that, like, in Vietnam, the response initially to COVID had gone really well, and like, it was a real positive energy, and things were reopening. And um, once we got back to the U.S., and I started here <laughs> at this job, um, and got into the mood of the US at the time, uh, folklore just suddenly made a lot more sense um, that I think it it really came from the context that it came from of being a pandemic release album. Um, and um, I was like, okay, this is actually really good. Um, and then Evermore was also phenomenal. And then I was like, you know what? It's time to be like a hardcore Swifty again. And uh, now, I'm, now I'm here. Um, so that is, that is um, the three of us in our Swifty journeys. Um, I'm really intrigued by this, um, especially what you were talking about, Madison, like that we, um, we do a lot of projecting um, ideas of like activism, of um, this idea that she's really like calculating. There's a lot of projection of different cultural ideas. Like Taylor Swift seems to be like this lightning rod of different cultural ideas getting um, reflected on her. I'm curious what you two have to maybe say about that. I think it's totally represented in Miss Americana in her documentary. And I think that's why it's titled Miss Americana because she has kind of become the face of 
America sweetheart girl next door that idealistic white blonde blue eyed um Miss Americana like that's her whole her whole shtick that she appeals to everyone and that she can play in grocery stores in Asia and that she can also play in grocery stores in the U.S. and in Russia and in all of these different places she's not even though she's this like decisive figure culturally in pop culture and in music she's a very safe neutral she's a safe bet in the same way that the Beatles were and people compare her to them a lot but a good point that Billy Joel had made was Taylor Swift catches a lot of junk and it's because she's popular with young women and people like to hate on things that young women enjoy especially teenage girls and um, that's the same reason that the Beatles got a lot of slack at the time. Um, but yeah, I think that is why people project so many ideas onto her because she has become this like mirror ball. Um, <laughs> uh, um, she has a song called mirror ball and folklore for anyone that doesn't know. And it's just about how she kind of morphs into whoever she needs to be in the moment, depending on who she's around or the situation that she's in. And I think that rings true for her career and her public persona and, it's kind of the general public that creates the narrative of who she is at that time and what her persona is. Um, it's really up to news publications and stuff to project where she's at and socially and where she falls into like social categories and, and stereotypes and stuff. Um, but yeah, uh, it, there was that weird wave. I think it was like in 2013, 2014 when um, she was kind of being projected as like a Aryan princess of some sort and the alt-right conservatives had like adopted her as a sort of like base for them right I I don't know a whole lot about that era um but I know that that was a real thing happening and it just goes it goes to show that just because she is a white blonde woman she is the perfect canvas to just kind of paint whatever ideals people want to onto her politically and everything like that and even in her earlier music she had um she was very close with the who was it the Kennedys she was really close with the Kennedys and she had like soldiers in her music videos and she was very she catered to a very Americana patriot um image so it's it's interesting now to see her kind of veer away from that and I'd say she's more just neutral now. I don't really see her as super far left or super far right politically, but she has kind of learned how to balance that, I think. I'd love to hear um, Anjum's thoughts on that as well, because I know I know we talked beforehand a little bit and you're not um, quite as big of like a Swifty fan as um, Ember and I. So from more of like an outside perspective, how have you seen her image kind of change. Thanks for asking, Madison. <laughs> um, well, I think the thing with Taylor Swift um, is just that when you're that big, you become like a shorthand for language where people can kind of throw her in as like a placeholder in conversation for like, oh, you know, I'm talking about like general pop or like general, like, yeah, white feminism or just a white American woman. Um, I know that like, I've talked to people who 
kind of see her as being the tip of a monolith, be it like, I know some people don't see those queer readings in her and see her as being like some kind of strange pillar for like heterosexuality. And so I think it's really easy to make an enemy out of that or, or like an ally out of that. Because when you're so ubiquitous that everyone knows who you are, um, it's easy for people to kind of understand what you're talking about when when she's brought up in conversation. Um, people might not agree, but those shortcuts are kind of there. So I kind of think that that's what it comes down to is that it is just projection because that's what our language does is try to find metaphors when when we're struggling to explain things. That was very like, roundabout. I hope that made any sense. <laughs> I think that made a ton of sense. Um, though I got to push back on her not being far left. I mean, the album is called Red. Um, so it's definitely about, secretly about the Soviet Union. Um, <laughs> or what does Red mean here, Ember? Uh, well, and when, when Fearless Taylor's version came out, Prince Philip died. Um, and when Red Taylor's version came out, now the queen is going into a new stage of public persona. So like, she's clearly anti-royalty at least. Um, <laughs> I just had to toss that in there. Um, my, my, my secret, you know, we may have Gaylers and every other such category, but the secretly is the, the, the socialisters. I don't know, is that one? Yeah. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I mean, I think that this is true, that she being this figure that she is, like that it's easy for everything to kind of get projected onto her. And that, I mean, I think that happens with a lot of things. And like, I mean, she did kind of become like the millennial. Um, I mean, on TikTok now, she's literally just like shorthand for like millennialism. Um, like I know there was the, the video I saw the other day that was uh, reflecting how um, she's so millennial because she does the three second pause, like before she starts speaking at the beginning of a video. I'm like, you guys don't understand what we went through. The cameras did not start as quickly. The internet was slower. Um, let us have our let us have our pause at the beginning of a video. So you know, she just became kind of like what what Anjum was saying, the the shorthand for like everybody can refer to as like the millennial or the white feminist um, and. You know, I, like being such a public figure, there's not like any any element of growth is then also like heavily criticized too. Um, like I was I was talking with a, a queer friend of mine, and uh, I was um, talking about my love for it, and he was talking about enjoying some of the stuff, um, and he was talking about like how it took her so long to come around to saying like um, any LGBT friendly stuff, uh, and. I was like, yeah, but like, if I hadn't been tra trans myself, like, would it, would I have been this quick to like be super affirming when I came from the background that I did? Um, you know, so I I often try to like take that into context that um, uh, you know things things do change and evolve over time, and people change and evolve over time. Like, I think all three of our stories of being Swifties showed a lot of personal growth, and I think her career has shown a lot of change and growth. Um, whether whether genres or um, public personas. Um, and would you guys like to talk maybe a little bit about this idea of like growth um, in Taylor Swift's career and in 
fandom, you know, something along those lines. Something that really um, signified maybe not growth, but maybe perspective in the eyes of myself and like the general public was when Miss Americana came out and she discussed having um, problems with um, like body insecurities and eating disorders. And that was something that around the time of 2014, when 1989 came out and she was, um, she had this squad of like white models around her. That was one of the things that off put me was the fact that she only hung around all of these skinny white models. And I just, I didn't see myself in any of what she was doing at the time or, and, you know, that's a whole different thing, like celebrity idealism, but um, I just, I didn't see myself in any of it. I didn't relate to it. It felt disappointing. And later on seeing in Miss Americana that at that time she herself was struggling with the same ideals that I was so mad at her for perpetuating, I guess, like she unknowingly was perpetuating this, um, these body types in the media while simultaneously struggling with those things herself. And that kind of really put into perspective for me that um, she, she's human, I guess. And um, same with her like political stances and stuff and her just being like, I wasn't allowed to say anything. I like, this is how hard it was for me to just simply endorse a um, democratic candidate in Tennessee. Like this is how difficult it was for me and her showing that whole process. It just, it really put into perspective that the issue isn't with Taylor Swift herself as a person. The issue was always with the industry and with society and culture and just systemic oppression. And it was never Taylor Swift. She just happens to be a really easy face to put a name to all of those things too like what Anjum was saying so um yeah just in terms of her her publicized like growth and stuff Miss Americana the documentaries what really put so much into perspective for me about her her career what she is in control of um, the ways that she is still human and going through the same struggles as all of us trying to figure out where she fits as an activist where she fits when she's struggling with her own um, body issues and her personal life. And yeah, that's, that's for me where I saw all of the, all of the growth and, and realized that it really, it was never Taylor Swift herself that I was mad at. It was, it was society. <laughs> yeah. Piggybacking off of that. Cause I, I fully agree with what you just said, Madison. Um, definitely like a clip that uh just pops to mind that is from the documentary is one from when she was 22 and on some late night show and she's asked some question I don't remember what it was um and she's like I don't think that people want to hear you know the political opinions of like a 22 year old singer and that can come off sounding like an excuse but it's also like so valid because right now I think our culture is kind of reckoning with this, um, like it's cancel culture and purity culture, but it's this idea that people have to like be experts in everything immediately and especially for celebrities. But I think with social media, it's, it's truly everyone is expected to know everything about, about America's big social issues. And that's not fair because <laughs> We don't come out of the womb knowing these things and neither do celebrities. 
And so I think that it's really valid that she was 22 and didn't have all of America's social problems completely sorted out yet because I'm 25. I sure don't. And I probably have more time on my hands than she did. So yeah, that, yeah, it's the seeing her as human thing. That's what I wanted to piggyback off of. Um, I think that we're all, you know, with the Britney Spears documentaries and stuff, we're getting better at remembering that these people are people and they're going through a truly extraordinary experience when you're at the level of fame of a Taylor Swift or a Britney Spears. And there has to be some consideration in that, some fairness. <laughs> and not to mention, we don't have these high expectations for men in the industry. Um, just want to also mention that never once have I thought to myself, oh, Ed Sheeran just isn't enough of an activist for me to enjoy his music. I've never once thought to myself that. I've never once considered that to be quite honest so that's something I've also reflected on in my own growth um, as a consumer it's just like am I being critical of this because she's a woman and I have higher expectations or is this is this a really valid critique right now so yeah had to had to say that too of course she gets the scrutiny that you would never see in any other man in pop or man in Hollywood in general yeah, well, I think, you know, piggybacking off of the the 1989 discussion there, like at the time, so as somebody who was slightly older, roughly the same age as Taylor at that time, um, and also coming out of the closet at that time, that it felt like a different brand of feminism than like a lot of the pop culture feminism that like we had been offered before. So she, like at the time was starting something new, <laughs> only for it to then um, be, you know, become part of this whole discussion around um, white, white feminism. And of course, you know, Kim Kardashian then riding on the coattails of that to try and um, gain, gain a little bit more fame as well. Um, and yeah, so I think that it's important to understand things within the context of the time. And um, I mean, gosh, one of the things that I, I'm, I'm a, an innocent Midwesterner who somehow ended up in New York City at this job. Um, and one of the things that I've realized like being in New York City is that like all these people that I thought were like big and famous and like in control of the whole world if they're just like regular people for the most part. Um, and especially like what Anjum was talking about like the system that is like it's such a horrible system that like I mean in more recent times has tried to screw her, screw her out of literally owning her own music. Um, and like we saw the system eat Britney Spears pretty much like it's it's a toxic system. Like the fact that she's survived is, you know, speaks to um, her ability to adapt. Like, I think we, um, you know, it was always sold that like the, she's, she's always conniving and plotting and planning, but like, that's what you gotta do to survive in the music industry. Um, gotta be a little bit Slytherin because um, Taylor Swift is definitely a Slytherin. <laughs> the big assertions for me today, Taylor Swift is a communist and Taylor Swift is a Slytherin. Um, so I'm, I will upload those both on TikTok later. <laughs> I think maybe one of those is more true than the other one, probably. Maybe maybe that will be the thing that finally gets me a comment from her account. Um, but <laughs> I'll get blocked, actually. Um, but so one of the things that we see um, in like her growth in her music is also like a change in the way like 
um, you know, the, the early stuff especially was, these were stories about like her breakups, um, whereas now like folklore, Evermore, Woodvale, um, that these are about, um, you know, like characters, the written from a male perspective songs, which we can get into that a little bit later. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, that it, it evolved past just like the, it, it became richer, bigger storytelling. And I think that's like something that can really be acknowledged that growth as a, as an artist in storytelling. Um, I was just talking about this on um, the recent podcast episode that I recorded about Red Taylor's version and All Too Well and everything. Um, and I've been thinking about it a lot with with her writing and with these re-releases. It's so interesting to revisit um, her old albums because it proves that she's always been a storyteller and she didn't have to write folklore evermore. Um, for people to recognize that it's just that's kind of when people chose to recognize it just because she was like see they're made up characters and I made up this whole world and like I'm writing from the perspective of a 17 year old boy so whatever but truly she's she's been storytelling her entire career that's what got her started in country music she talks about it in her long pond film where she says it's that classic country music trope about the song Betty where it's like or no, it was about the last great American dynasty. My apologies. Um, <laughs> and she says, you know, boy meets girl, they do this, they do this, and then this happens and da, da, da. And she explains the whole plot line and how she's been writing like that her whole life. And I think it's a little bit of a cop-out for the general public and for the media to frame it as Taylor is finally writing fictional stories, something new that she's never done before. Um, I truly see her writing in her most recent albums completely aligned with the rest of her writing and all of her other albums. It's all um, reality kind of woven in with fictional characters and fictional places and things, but all of the feelings that she's writing about are her own. You can't write about um, those feelings without having felt them at some point which is why when I see queer themes in her songs and when I hear queer feelings that I've had, it, it, it doesn't make sense to me that she wouldn't be queer herself in some way to be able to express them so rawly. And um, it, I, in the All Too Well short film, she shows All Too Well as a book and on the cover of it, it says a novel. And if you look at the definition of a novel, it's fiction with aspects of reality in it, but it's fiction. And I think that goes to show she's been writing fiction since she wrote All Too Well in 2010. She writes kind of for the press and for the PR a lot of the times. I almost see it. I think she sees it as a prompt. Like she's like, oh, you all are publishing stories about me and Jake Gyllenhaal. Just wait until I write 10 songs on an album about him. And I get to like make this prompt that you all made for me of the autumn and, and that scarf I was wearing in the photos you all saw. Like, just wait until you eat that up. It, <laughs> it truly feels like she writes about her personal life in order to appease PR narratives. And um, yeah, and she never she never says anyone's name. She never confirms who she's writing about, who she's dating in her real life. She really doesn't speak a lot about her personal life. It's the media that connects all of her music to her personal life and writes the stories for her. Hence why she's selling an all too well journal on her website, because it's always been the fans that have written the narratives around her songs and that have kind of created these whole worlds around them. And she just goes along with it, truly. Um, 
but yeah I think she's always been a storyteller and she's always written fiction and we all know 15 year old Taylor Swift wasn't really so enthralled with anyone to write things like I mean of course she was when you're a teenager everything's dramatic but (laughs) like songs like love story what what forbidden love are you feeling at the age of 16 or 17 that causes you to write that there's some level of fiction there that she's tapping into some level of 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 fiction and a fantasy that she's tapping into and she's always done that she's always done it people are just recognizing it now because they don't have anything to relate her real life to to the songs love story is such a good example of that because I mean obviously love story plays directly off of Romeo and Juliet and like that's that's what it's like to be a writer is to like get pieces of of course your real life but a lot of the pieces come from like media that you consume and like Madison was saying when some of the media is about you then it kind of becomes like a strange game of telephone and I mean I was talking a little bit about this before with Amber and Madison, but I think it's a little weird that people think that they know so astutely exactly what she's talking about in all of her songs. What it makes me think about the most, and I'm not sure who's going to understand this reference, so I'm going to explain it as best that I can, but John Green is an author who typically writes for young adult, um, typically kind of a teen girl audience. And so he wrote a book that came out uh, 2014 or maybe, uh, nope, a couple of years after that, maybe 2017, um, that is called Turtles All the Way Down, that is about a young girl who has OCD and he has OCD. And so then everyone was asking him like, oh, do you experience these things that this teenage girl experiences because you have OCD and she has OCD? And he's like, no, it's not it's not my autobiography. And I just can't help but assume that Taylor Swift experiences that as well, that this is not a direct autobiography. It's not intended to be nonfiction. It's intended to be like, write what you know, but it's not direct. Um, But furthermore, well, you know what? That's kind of a totally different thing. So never mind. I'll just stop there. Totally difference always allowed. Um, we'll get there. Okay. Now I do um, love uh, in the chat here that uh, her saying that this is fictitious has given her a lot of freedom to experiment and do what she, what she wants. Yeah. Um, <laughs> maybe she did crash a wedding at the age of eighteen. So you, you mentioned all too well. So how how are we feeling? How are we feeling? Um, post post read Taylor's version. Um, when we were planning this panel, it was not out yet. So I put this uh, prompt on there to give us a, a moment to reflect from the chaos of the last uh, few weeks. Um, I think that for the very first time, well, maybe it's not the very first time. I think folklore was the first time that um, gay lore, which is kind of what people call themselves when they think that she's queer or that she's writing about queer themes in her music. Um, I think that Red Taylor's version is the first time that Gaylor conspiracists are being kind of taken seriously because she had a vault track that wasn't released in 2010 because her label didn't want it on the album, but she has released now. 
and the rhyme scheme makes it sound like she was about to say her in one of the songs and even people who don't expect queer things from her were expecting her to say her um making her sing about a woman um and there's been a few news articles pop up actually about it and um kind of validating what Gaylers have been saying for years and years and years that oh maybe it is a possibility is Taylor Swift singing about a woman like yeah she actually sings about kissing women on folklore if you pay attention but um so that's been really interesting and then something I think a lot of people missed in the all too well short film if you've seen it after the 10 or 11 minute mark um it cuts to older Taylor which is Taylor with red hair she plays herself as older Taylor and it cuts to her like getting ready for her book release at the end of the film and the camera pans over to a picture frame with a woman in it and I think that a lot of people missed that um it kind of implies that she ended up with a woman as a partner at the end of the the short film and so that was really intriguing to me just as someone that looks for queer themes in all of her music always um, yeah, definitely rewatch it if you haven't around the 10 or 11 minute mark. Take note of of the difference of uh, after she breaks up with the man, how she becomes really intrigued by all the women around her. It cuts to so many shots of her looking at different women and and kind of contemplating her feelings. You can just see it in her face. Um, so that's something I don't think enough people are talking about either. And then, of course, with... Um, the whole female pronouns in one of the vault tracks it's so interesting because queer people have heard her queer themes and just the feelings that she sings about but it took something as solid as a pronoun and as a rhyme um, for someone who is such a talented songwriter to mess up a rhyme and rhyme picture with you instead of picture with her that's what it took for the general public to kind of be like huh and to raise their ears um just because of heteronormativity, of course, no one expects Taylor Swift to be queer, but it's interesting that it took something as solid and concrete as a pronoun for people to kind of perk their ears up a little bit instead of listening to kind of the weird, crazy theories that people have about her singing about gorgeous women or kissing women on front porches and... <laughs> Um, all of her themes of secrecy and all of that. There's just so much more. So it's so interesting to see Red Taylor's versions roll out and people kind of being confused. What do you think as far as uh, I'm seeing a lot in the comments and it's I think it's a fair discussion. And I think you may have even did a TikTok about it, but the I bet you think about me and the fact that like she talks about in the in the tweet that she did that that she was willing to risk it there, the the bride was willing to risk it all that she was gonna run away with yeah. Taylor. Um, yeah, so in the music video, she interrupts this wedding, and if you see Taylor as a straight woman, you would think she's interrupting the wedding because she wants to be with the groom, and because she, yeah, because she wants to sabotage the wedding to be with the groom, but she actually tweeted out the music video and said the bride was willing to risk it all, which kind of confirmed that she actually interrupted the wedding because she wanted the bride, and the bride was willing to leave the wedding for her. Not that the groom had anything to do with it. And if you watch the music video, she even knocks the groom's little figure off the top of the cake, the little figurine of the groom. She knocks it off the cake, just proving like, I'm supposed to be next to her, not you. Um, she does it in such a subtle way. She really toes the line so well. Oh, there's another scene where there's 
the bride and the groom standing next to each other and she's facing them and there's a spotlight next to the bride um it's not on anyone it's just on the ground next to the bride proving that she wants to be in the spot next to the bride um and she gives the scarf to the bride in the music video too there's so many things my friends who are not um gayler believers even asked me to play the music video and they called it her coming out video they said can you play taylor's coming out video again it's so hilarious like <laughs> um yeah thank you for bringing that up though i totally forgot about i bet you think about me it's a it's so interesting and she submitted the song to be played on country radio so if we think of it being about a woman the fact that it's just playing on country radio the same way that betty was when folklore came out it's so interesting that she's transcending the the norm of country music without anyone really knowing unless you know but yeah i i love red taylor's version i all of the vault tracks are amazing she has a song called run where she talks about running um running away with a lover like you run from the law which when the song came out gay marriage was not legal yet so it, it's so interesting to see it come out 10 years later and to think about the context of her writing that song in 2010 or 2011 and her saying you know let's run run from it all let's run from the law let's run together away from this world that is so oppressive um it's so interesting to think about the fact that her label didn't want that song on the album either or the other song where it's female pronouns but yeah for all of uh the the trauma inflicted swifties which is many um we have nothing new of course being a solid uh good um feeling slightly depressed song yeah. <laughs> uh as she is uh, prone to having many of on the album um no, it's I, I mean, um, "Girl at Home," uh, the the pop version. Oh man, I that's 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 a bop for me. The yesification of "Girl at Home." I'm good for it. I mean, I I'm and I'm sticking with my with my new with my trans reading um, that she's um, talking to a closeted trans woman and telling her like, "No, stop trying to be." this say, cis straight man, like just admit that the girl at home is you. Um, that's, there's my trans reading. Um, I loved that, by the way. I did, I I loved that reading so much. It actually made me like the song a lot more. <laughs> Anju, any red thoughts? Seeing how you're wearing red tonight. Yeah, that might be masking. Cause I, <laughs> okay, here's the thing. If you don't live in New York City, you don't know how much you listen to music in the car and how if that's where you mainly listen to music, it's suddenly hard to find time to listen to music when you don't have a car because I have not finished listening to that album. Hmm. Um, so I haven't heard the vault songs. Um, I listened to most of the re-recorded songs and by golly, they sound the same. So. <laughs> So it's good. <laughs> this is why you need a two-hour commute from uh, New Jersey over into New York City to to give you that extra time to, <laughs> to listen well, to literally the entirety of the album uh, each time you commute. I could tell you how I live my life, but I don't think that that would be very interesting to the poor suckers who are here. So um, I'll I'll try and make the time. <laughs>
yes, I agree. Her voice does sound more mature and I really enjoy, I mean, I feel like by Red, her voice was already sounding a little more steady, but especially with the earlier songs, it's so funny how a song kind of sounds almost exactly the same, but then you hear like that she pronounces a vowel a little differently now. Like her ahs are definitely different now than they used to be with like, you know, the slightly more twang that she had back then. So I do agree that like the sound quality is better and that's always a big thing for me. So I definitely like it, but I, uh, I, it takes me a long time to consume new content. I'm very much a uh, listen to what I've always listened to, watch what I, like I rewatch shows and reread books. That's a, uh, that's me. <laughs> that with with Harry Potter content um, so now I'm adding lots of fan fiction into the mix um, <laughs> no so we we come at Taylor um, one of the things that we discussed as we were preparing is like you know where would we rank the albums like how, how and comparing where those fell for each of us you know as I mentioned like um, I was just kind of neutral during reputation but now that I listen to it I actually kind of really like it um, but I also know that people have a lot of feelings about it. Um, I will stand me because um, uh, I, I personally like uh, the Brendan Urie, Taylor Swift, um, and the Miss Americana quote about uh, the video needs to be about gay rights because that's one of the things that fundamentally defines Taylor. Uh, but uh, <laughs> uh, so that being said, I'm curious if you guys had to maybe pick like top three songs, top three albums, top five. Um, and, and the why, maybe a little explanation, maybe a little queer readings um, as well, Madison. Um, I, so um, whoever, whoever amongst you two feels more prepared to dive into your top one, three, five of whatever category you choose. Okay, Anjum. Okay, I wasn't so much raising my hand as much as saying top five songs, but I'm happy raising to go. Raising now. <laughs> yeah, it, it works either way. Um, for communication. <laughs> um, okay, so my top five in no particular order, and mind you, there are some albums that I really have not listened to very much, so this is subject to change. Um, top five in no particular order is Teardrops on My Guitar for Nostalgia, because that was the first song that I really liked, and as I said to Amber and Madison earlier, I had a crush on a guy named Andrew, so it just was too personal. Taylor Swift is really good at doing that to people. Um, and then I'm really, it's strange because I went to school for musical theater. So you'd think that I would be like a narrative lyrics story first person, but I'm really like about the melody and it takes me like 30 listens to know what a song is talking about. So these are mostly just songs where I really like the melody. Um, so I almost do from Red, I think it's really pretty. <laughs> um, Peace and Exile, both from Folklore and Tis the Damn Season from Evermore. That's top five. Um, I could go into them more, but I it's kind of not that deep. I just really like those songs and I don't have any queer readings for them. <laughs> Maybe I will after this. I love those choices so much. You have no idea. You're making Thanks. me rethink people, my choices. People don't always like these choices. 
No, I love those. I Almost Do is so, so, so underrated. And it's one of those songs that I don't think she writes about a lot. Like that feeling of of like wanting to call someone and then not. I don't know. It it feels like very unique from the rest of her music to me, the theme of it. Um, great choices. Oh, amazing. Um, so my top five is kind of just the first ones I thought of off the top of my head. They're always subject to change depending on how I'm feeling. That's how I always pick which Taylor songs I want to listen to is just like depending on how I feel because that's what she's great at is just capturing emotion. Um, so Ivy is a wonderful song. I love the storytelling in it. I love that it goes through an entire roller coaster of emotions and I love the instrumental of it. I love how queer it is. I love that she gave the show Dickinson the okay to play it. Um, there's a show called Dickinson on Apple TV about Emily Dickinson and who's a gay poet. And the song just sounded like a Emily Dickinson poem to begin with. So it's amazing that she's allowing it to play on that show. It's going to be great. And then another one I love is Seven from Folklore. It's so nostalgic. It's so nostalgic and painful. It makes me want to cry every time I hear it. It reminds me of early Taylor songs. Um, it's there's so much imagery there of her like swinging and drinking sweet tea with her friend and hiding in the closet and kind of like what comes along with being queer when you're young. And when you have family that wouldn't accept you being queer, she talks about, you know, wanting her childhood friend to come live with her so that she doesn't have to hide in the closet from her abusive father. It's such an intense song set to such a happy little twangy guitar. And it's, it's amazing. I love Seven. And Begin Again from Red is, I think, one of her best songs, just unbiased. I think it tells such a beautiful story. Um, it's such a classic song to me. And then Cornelia Street is one of those like personal ones. Um, it's very, I lived in New York. I had a lover in New York and in the song, she says, the city screams your name. You know, it's everyone associates their little, like you with Andrew and Teardrops on My Guitar. Everyone associates their own little personal stories to her music, I think. And Cornelia Street is definitely that for me. And it's just so heartbreaking and nostalgic. And of course, I would be criminal not to mention Cowboy Like Me. It's a beautiful song. It's a beautiful song. When I am trying to convince people that Taylor Swift is good and that she's not what people think, I play Cowboy Like Me for them because you can really appreciate her artistry in that song, I think. And it's super queer. It's super queer. <laughs> um, I won't get too into it. I have all queer readings on my page for Ivy and Cowboy Like Me and Seven. But um, yeah, it's it's it takes one to know one is one of the lyrics. And that is just the most queer coded thing I've ever heard in my entire life. It takes one to know one. And that's exactly what she does with her music, too. Like it takes her queer fans that want to recognize it to know what she's actually singing about and to recognize all of the queer theme she weaves into her music. And I'm sorry, I'm not paying attention to the chat because I'm going to lose my train of thought, but I will read it in a moment. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's my top five for right now, where I'm at and the first ones I could think of when putting that together. 
Ember? Uh, so for context, um, um, I feel like album ranking is actually fairly easy for me. Like Folklore and Evermore are literally always dueling it out for number one um, in my mind. And then Red is probably three. Um, like, and I listened to it a ton, like on YouTube before 1989 came out back in the day. Um, and then, but then it gets a little muddled. Then it's probably, I, I might place Lo Lover number four. Um, and then, um, and then 1989 above Reputation, then Speak Now debut and Fearless at the bottom. Because um, as I saw, I saw in a video recently, someone said that Fearless is for people that had happy childhoods. Um, and that is why that album just doesn't resonate with me. <laughs> uh, but so if I had to pick favorite songs, um, and I don't know if it's gonna be five, um, uh, New Romantics um, from the deluxe version of 1989. I had the deluxe one um, when 1989 came out and I wish, I wished all goodness that I had kept my CDs um, when I moved because um, now I regret losing that. Um, and um, New Romantics was my favorite song on that whole album and it's just the best. Um, and um, I really do love Lover off of Lover. Um, but I also love paper rings, um, especially like if I'm feeling in a bit more of a poppy sort of mood. Um, uh, if we're off for going off Red's Taylor's version, definitely nothing new um, is pretty high up there. Um, that one is definitely um, possibly maybe even my number one. Um, see, I just gotta just gotta show off my vinyls because I pay all this money for them, so I might as well pull them out and look at them. Um, <laughs> Uh, and then definitely My Tears Ricochet is pretty high up there. I'm also a huge fan of Exile purely because um, I am super insecure about my own voice as a trans woman uh, and I can have fun doing the deep voice parts on Exile when I'm singing along to that one. Um, and I'm like, ah, yes, I have this, I have this bass in my voice for a reason, um, for, for Exile only. Um, we should do it, Ember. I, I finally, I did the, um, the, since you're not on TikTok on Zoom, um, there's the challenge that you sing this little segment of the All Too Well SNL performance um, and you sing it and then you add the audio after and see how well it matches up to like the performance. And I wasn't too far off. And that is the first time that I've ever sung somewhat publicly. Like I, I barely even sing at churches that I work at. Um, so that's uh, context for my uh -huh. singing. Just you wait until fourth year's choir comes back. I'll make you sing. Okay, you get Sean to do a Taylor Swift song, I'll do it. Um, but then um, This Is Me Trying um, is definitely up there. Um, and um, uh, Tolerate It. Um, Coney Island is also surprisingly fairly far up there. And my recent jam has definitely been Right Where You Left Me, um, which is also so, so solid. Um, so that is like, I don't even know what those would be in like a one through five um, sort of list, but I, I mean, it's just so, so good. Um, right Where You Left Me has to be one of the best songs she's ever written. I'm so disappointed that I didn't put that on my list, but Right Where You Left Me is a fantastic piece of music. It's such a good song. It's such a good writing. It's such good instruments. It's such good melody. It's everything is Oh, I can't. I can't. It's so good. And 
the reference to a you could hear a hairpin drop into Stonewall and how they considered that the hairpin drop heard around the world. This woman knows her queer history. She puts the most obscure references in these songs. The true Easter eggs that she puts out are not like the weird numbers in the music videos and the weird little symbols. The true Easter eggs are the queer history that she literally just ingrains into all of these songs since like Red, I would say, is when she kind of started doing that. And it's been it's so interesting to truly deep dive into all of that because this woman knows her queer history. She knows her queer literature and oh, right where you left me so good. So is Ivy. Oh, I can't. I can't. Why not both? Why not both the crazy numbers? And <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're all these yeah, the, They all the are. Secret TikTok account that's absolutely not Taylor Swift. Um, might may or yeah. may not actually be which is the most millennial name to possibly call like your fake alt account so which makes me further believe it um yeah she, she i was just talking them. to someone about yeah. that last night they were like i feel like the account absolutely not taylor swift is taylor swift because i'm a millennial and if i were to make a like burner account where i was trying not to be seen but also trying to be seen I would probably make the name that. And I was like, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> uh, um, I suppose it's like a closer um, sort of, of question because I think we've engaged in a bit of nostalgia thinking about some of our favorite songs and such. Um, but, and we've already hit on it a little bit, but this whole idea that there is so much pressure, it's the, the whole segment, um, I think it's in the later part of uh, Miss Americana, uh, where she talks about this pressure to constantly be reinventing herself you know meanwhile ed sheeran's saying like the same song every year for like the last 20 years or whatever um not only the music that he sings you've never seen ed sheeran change up his look or change his hair for every album or change his outfits or his style or his persona like he doesn't have to because he's a man and everything he does is impressive regardless to the public but yeah that's so interesting and it makes me think about um the song nothing new on red and how she's like will you still want me when i'm nothing new and she's referring to just the general public like you're not going to want me once i'm um not anything exciting to you anymore just like you didn't want Britney Spears just like you didn't want Amanda Bynes Lindsay Lohan all these women that you drive crazy and then throw out after their five years is up um I hope I don't turn into that that's what she's saying in the song basically but then it comes out 10 years later and she's still on top of the world if not more on top of the world than she was before just like proving them all wrong but it is so interesting that it's only women that really have to reinvent themselves like that. There is also the interesting topic of like music industry standards and like the really, really, really tight constraints to that. Cause like, I know like one of my roommates is a singer songwriter and every time she writes a song and she's trying to like submit it for things, they're always like, oh, well, what's the genre? And they never approve of like what genre she picks because I don't know, they must think about it differently. Um, but like with Taylor Swift, obviously you have these massive genre changes, particularly with the change from country to pop. But then even now, like even though she had such fame in country, like I know Madison mentioned like Betty being pitched to country radio, but it wasn't really picked up. 
And I think uh, New Year's Day was pitched to country radio. It wasn't really picked up. Um, Nobody, No Crime, I think, same thing. But now there's a song that obviously I have not listened to <laughs> off of uh, Red. That's a duet with that Tennessee whiskey guy. Him, I think. Um, but yeah, that's also being pitched to country radio. And that one might be picked up because I guess duets are really hot on country radio right now. Um, I don't listen to country radio anymore, if that was not clear. Um, and so how like she struggles to like find the niche because within the industry, like you need to have these labels or else you're not marketable. But at the same time, she's trying to like stretch past, like with Red, obviously the first go around was a stretch and to pop in like more traditional country people would, were very surprised to hear like the, the music production that was in, especially like some of the singles, like I Knew You Were Trouble very not what was comfortable for people on country radio at the time as uh, one of those people. Um, and so, yeah, it's this constant like breaking past the constriction, but also like needing it for the industry, even though like she should be big enough that it doesn't matter. And, and it kind of doesn't because streaming now in a lot of ways is more important than radio. And she has such a huge fan base that she does not need the support of radio. But the fact that she keeps pitching these songs means that either she wants it or potentially more likely like her team wants it. Um, but yeah, I'm not an expert in any of that. So if anyone wants to fact check me, go for it. Cause I'm probably not hundred percent correct. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know more about country music than me it seems. Um, before we opened the, the room, I tossed out what I think is the logical next reinvention, um, which is um, pop punk speak now Taylor's version. Um, particularly, we tossed out haunted uh, Taylor's version featuring My Chemical Romance. So Taylor, if you're secretly listening tonight, um, or if you watch this video later, um, please run with that idea. Um, that would be great. Um, because I mean, she's done everything else. Like, why not head to pop punk? Like, I, I'd be good for it. She's got Brendan Urie as a friend, so like, there's a connection there. Let's, let's the song that really needs a reinvention, though, is "Better Than Revenge" because that song absolutely slaps, but people really don't approve of the lyrics anymore. So that one, imagine if she like redid that one. That's all I have to say. Goodbye. <laughs> Uh, now I'm now I'm totally blanking because I'm not an early enough uh, like I don't listen to debut and fearless and those that often. Which one is the one that is that the one that where she says that I'm going to tell him you're gay, and now all the no no that have adopted no, that one to be the new, new queer anthem. Um, no, that's like is that picture to burn? Or, yes, burn. I was trying yeah. to play. No, this one is the line like she on the mattress. What? How does the rest of the line go? She's like slut shaming her okay. ex boyfriend's new girlfriend, basically. Yeah, and it was it was Joe Jonas's new girlfriend, and she's like, um, she's not a saint. She's not what you think. She's an actress. She's better known for the things that she does on the mattress, and she's just like, whatever, slut shaming her, basically. Yes, it was about Camila Bell, I believe. Um, but but it's yeah, so, people. It's long. It's I know, so and it reminds me of um, Paramore's. Um, how am I blinking on this right now? Misery business. 
and how um Haley Williams stopped performing that song for the same reason yeah I'm not sure we'll get like a slightly feminist version it'll be like the 1989 remix of of it. Um, so our closing our closing question from me is, when do you think Speak Now Taylor's version or Woodvale is dropping? Um, I think Speak Now is dropping on her 32nd birthday, which would be December 13th or December 10th, I guess, because it the 13th isn't on a Friday. But I think that because she has a song called Innocent on there that she wrote about Kanye West originally. She says 32 and still growing up now. She's turning 32 this year. Um, I can imagine she doesn't want to talk about Kanye anymore. She doesn't want the media to talk about him anymore. So maybe by overriding that lyric and that song and making it about herself because she's turning 32, that will help to divert the media attention away from the Kanye stuff. That's my theory. I've been thinking that all year and she's still hinting at Speak Now recently a lot. So I'm still believe I'm still going with it. I think it's coming for her birthday, her 32nd. My theory is that um, uh, the uh, absolutely not Taylor Swift account liked my trans reading of uh, Teardrops on My Guitar, um, which means that debut is next. Um, <laughs> The only logic, like, why else would she like my video? Like, besides to hint that day that I could then make a theory that debut is coming next. Someone said that she's gonna do um, her debut self-titled album last, and that's when she's gonna come out as queer officially, and it's gonna say Taylor Swift out now. <laughs> um, also, I saw a couple people say that they wanted me to talk about Connie Converse and that whole thing. It's a big thing on my TikTok account. Connie Converse was a um, artist back in the 60s and she disappeared suddenly in like 1964. She literally just told her family, I'm disappearing, don't find me. Um, yeah, she just like disappeared. No one knows whatever happened to her when she died, anything like that. And her music was later on released, I think in like 2009. And Taylor seems to make a lot of references to Connie Converse and to her writing in um, as early as Red. And throughout the rest of her albums, she references a lot of Connie Converse's own lyrics and stuff. And uh, people have credited Connie to be one of the first female songwriters um, that was like well-renowned and stuff. So it's, it's really interesting to look at. Oh, also Connie Converse was queer. Her brother said that um, he thinks that she was a lesbian. She was never out though, and that she never had any partners and he never met any of her partners, but he does believe that she was lesbian, but she wrote about men and she wrote in the same kind of weird ways as Taylor does, like framing things as fictional, singing about men, but it's about women and kind of bait and switch type of thing. So yeah, just wanted to mention that because I saw a couple of, couple of people um, um, bring that up and that's just one of the examples of Taylor knowing her queer history and being very much involved in all of it so yeah I have TikToks about it if you guys want to know more but it's really interesting yeah so I mentioned in the chat uh if you guys have um any last couple questions for us to, to feel feel free um and this will be um getting uh, recorded. The recording is going to be probably if my turnaround is quick enough on YouTube tonight on our fourth Universalist YouTube 
uh, and as a podcast format. So if you want to listen to it on your commute and uh, relive all these greatest hits, um, that is uh, there as well. And it's on SoundCloud and Spotify. And um, that being said, would you like to make a quick plug for uh, The Archers? Yeah, so I just started a podcast this month where we talk about all of this. Basically, this is basically what the podcast is. We talk about Taylor's public persona and her career, um, about her queer themes. We go really in depth in her lyrics. There's only um, one episode out right now, but I'm working on getting the second episode out, which is all about Red Taylor's version. And um, if you want to listen to it, I will send my link tree um, in the chat again. And there's also a link to a playlist of all the songs that I think are queer by Taylor Swift. And um, the username on my link tree group, group on mom is also my username on TikTok if you're on TikTok. Um, yeah, but if you want to listen to my podcast, it's on Spotify, Anchor, and Apple Podcasts. And yeah, that's my plug. <laughs> Good. And if you enjoyed this, we did have also done other um, pop cultures. We've did uh, Pokemon. Andrew and I did Pokemon in um, September. And in January, we're going to do Spider-Man, um, which there seems to be an odd correlation amongst like Spider-Man and Taylor Swift fans on TikTok. Um, I'm slowly finding. Um, and then, uh, but we also did like Lord of the Rings, Legend of Zelda, um, Golden Compass, a few other things last year. And so those are all on our website, uh, which is a fourthu.org. I'm putting that in the chat. Um, and so feel free to check that out. And we do have service on Sundays. If you ever do want to stop in, or if you're ever in, um, in New York City, feel free to stop in, but we're also on Zoom. And we have these um, like every other month. And it's been great having everybody. Thank you, Ember, for messaging me and inviting me onto this. I was like literally so excited to hear that there was people that wanted to talk about Taylor Swift outside of my TikTok account. So, <laughs> and um, also, if you are interested, check out Ember's TikTok where she does trans readings of Taylor's lyrics that are fantastic and truly, I mean, not to toot my own horn, but I, I have my own readings that I, I always am like, oh, this is it. This is exactly what the song means. But Ember's made me like open up even more and be like, oh my God, this is what the song means. Like there's just, there's so many ways to read these songs. So uh, if you are interested, Ember also has great videos about I'm, I'm My next challenge is to do, um, I'm going to just do, I've done a couple of songs off of Red Taylor version, but I think to like give myself a challenge and to make it so that not all the songs are the ones that I'm looking for the easiest to do the interpretations of, but I'm just going to start at State of Grace and go through the whole album um, song by song and try and figure out how to, how to do a trans reading of a given song. Um, I'm going to have fun with that one. Um, and yes, Ember K39, I'm nice and simple, not as cool as Groupon Mom. Um, Yes, so Madison, Andrew, thank you uh, so much for, for being on the panel. 